Welcome to Fleet News Group Podcast. I'm Caroline Falls and I'm recording from the Brisbane Truck Show. I am lucky enough to have found Tony Fairweather here at the show. He's the Chief Executive Officer and founder of Sea Electric, which has had a phenomenal growth in the last few years, expanding into the US market. So welcome, Tony. I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Great to be here. Thanks for the invite, Caroline. I first encountered you at uh, IPWIA, a Public Works Engineers Fleet Conference, here in Brisbane several years ago, maybe even as early as 2018, I'm thinking, when you presented on what Sea Electric was doing converting garbage trucks, as I recall, to electric car booker uh, garbage trucks. Wow, have you come a long way since then. Tell us about the beginning of the journey and uh, even like what C stands for. I think it's something like Smith Electronics or Electric or something. And uh, and then we'll follow the journey to Miami where I believe you live now. Yeah, um, um, interesting um, interesting journey that we've been on. You know, kind of a 10-year overnight success, as they say, uh, Caroline. Um, but uh, yeah, way back in um, uh, 2012, 2013, uh, identified the, um, uh, the opportunity and the interest for uh, electrification of what's known as the last mile delivery segment in, um, in the US or, or um, as we refer to it here, the, the urban delivery and, uh, and pickup um, application uh, segment of the automotive space. So uh, any, any commercial vehicle that's picking up and delivering goods in urban environment. Uh, and you're right, um, Smith Electric was a company that we, um, we were importing and distributing for very early on um, and I learnt a lot from them. Unfortunately, they didn't, um, they didn't survive um, too early to market and I could see the mistakes that they made as a, uh, a, a trying to be or attempting to be an OEM, an original equipment manufacturer. Um, I saw the opportunity to uh, be agnostic to the truck um, itself. Uh, and focus on the technology, developing a, um, a, a power solution range that was adaptable into this particular segment. Uh, so that's how our journey started in Australia, in, um, in, uh, in Melbourne uh, initially, with a, a key focus on, um, on technology for, uh, for powertrains or power, power solutions and zero emission. Uh, and we've expanded from there now in seven countries and more than um, uh, two and a half million kilometres of, uh, of operation across seven countries and we're doing, we're doing very well in the US. Yep, so let's talk about the US um, where you're now based, is that correct? And um, just some of your recent huge contracts because I think one of them is to do with the iconic yellow school buses. Yeah, our, our primary contact uh, contracts that we've announced just recently are, um, uh, are with two OEMs, one being Hino, and um, that's a, a product we're sitting in sitting in right now. In fact, we've got a, a supply contract here as well as in the US, which has been expanded uh, in the US from a, a three-year deal to a 10-year deal, and all of their medium-duty range now are running our, our powertrain. Um, and we've also um, awarded, uh, at the same time, a, a contract that took three years for us to get with um, with Mack trucks, um, which is a, um, uh, a exclusive supplier as a tier one supplier of our powertrain technology for uh, the Mac medium duty product known as an MD6 and MD7. 
But in terms of the school bus, we, we um, have a, um, a substantial MOU executed with a, uh, a, a large dealer in the, in the US uh, for the aftermarket repowering, as we call it, of, uh, of yellow school buses, which uh, could be um, up to 10,000 units over the next uh, three to four years. Um, well, that just sounds absolutely huge. I mean, Mac and Hino on your side. Uh, excellent. So given that your business is booming in the US, I was surprised to find you here in Australia. Can you tell me about, you know, what the business is doing in Australia? Um, you were about to build a manufacturing facility a few years ago in Victoria, but I, I don't think that eventuated. Um, like, are you doing much here or are your energies more devoted to bigger overseas markets? In terms of uh, you know, me personally, I, I do live in the US and um, you know, the US is where our, our uh, most substantial uh, scale opportunity is. It's a market that has not only policy but um, uh, has um, uh, uh, incentives for end customers and, and subsequently access to, to capital markets. Um, however, um, I'm a proud Australian and um, born and bred in, uh, in Melbourne and uh, we do have an operation facility there. We've got uh, um, quite a few thousand square metres under roof and we're doing the assembly of all of the uh, Hino-based uh, products, all of these models that are on our, our boot, they're all being assembled in, um, in, in Australia. They come in from, uh, from Hino, <coughs> excuse me, from Hino <coughs> in SKD form, semi-knockdown semi form. Uh, in terms of the chassis, <coughs> the chassis and the um, and the cab, and um, we we assemble them as a rolling rolling glider chassis, and then uh, add the electrification. So we're not removing engines or gearboxes. This is new product, fully homologated to ADR in Australia and distributed here. We did look to um, expand our assembly operations down there a few years ago into the Latrobe Valley with some government support, but for a whole range of reasons, it uh, it didn't work for us and. Um, uh, you know, we, we collectively agreed that that wasn't, uh, that wasn't right for us. So our operations are in Dandenong in Melbourne and uh, we'll continue to expand uh, as, the, uh, as the volume grows in Australia. Um, so you mentioned uh, that you're in another, uh, well, I think you said a total of seven uh, countries. So seven apart from Australia and the US, where else are you? So we've got product operating in, <coughs> um, in New Zealand, uh, in South Africa, um, Indonesia, uh, in uh, North America, both the US and, uh, and Canada, um, and in Thailand, as well as Australia and New Zealand. I think that makes seven, is that right? Yeah. Um, so let's just talk about the recent trajectory of EV adoption in Australia. Are you relieved, surprised, excited by the government policy moves and growing interest and curiosity in all things to do with more sustainable transport, which of course equates to electric. Uh, yeah, it's great to see since the change of government um, increased activity. And you know, the, <laughs> the reality is that prior to a change of government, there was no activity in, in electrification. Living overseas and seeing where Australia, Australia stood in terms of um, uh, you know, zero emission Policy was uh, up until the change of government was quite quite embarrassing, uh, to be honest, to be in the EV space. After developing the technology in Australia <coughs> um, and uh, having to, to justify why Australia had no um, no interest in EV was uh, was embarrassing for a number of years. So 
great to see some activity. Still not enough in our segment. You know, it's been been disappointing to be honest to see the EV strategy released that is purely focused on passenger cars. Um, and I spend a lot of time personally um, uh, in uh, in lobbying and involved in that in Canberra and um, uh, provided some some guidance on <clears throat> zero cost policy in uh, that has been very successful in the US. Um, things like the advanced clean truck rule that was uh, introduced a number of years ago that, that mandates a transition to electrification from, from OE, by OEMs on a um, kind of a, a stage basis increasing a year on year from next year. That's had a tremendous um, uh, impact on activity, but uh, to date um, there's been no, no real policy or, um, uh, or incentives um, uh, targeted at the commercial vehicle space. Now, I understand that they need to get the emission, the fuel, um, uh, fuel efficiency standards uh, in place, the federal government, and I'm hoping that as soon as that happens, <clears throat> that there may be um, um, some activity uh, in terms of further support for the commercial vehicle segment. Because the reality is, this segment is ready to scale. Uh, the economics makes sense. Um, the duty cycle makes sense. Um, for every truck you put on the road, it's equivalent of, of taking 20 20 um, internal combustion engine cars off the road. So it has the greatest greatest bang for its buck in terms of transitioning. Uh, and it also removes uh, diesel engines, which are now uh, recognized by the World Health Organization as emitting carcinogenic particulates. Uh, they're horrible. And uh, every, every commercial vehicle in urban applications in Australia is currently powered by diesel diesel engines. So it should be the first, uh, first area that they look at uh, eliminating. Yeah, you're talking about NOx emissions, and I, yeah, I agree. I just don't think Australians get it at all. They think that we got blue skies and our air looks clear, and they don't realise that you know emissions where people live and go to school and work are so dangerous. Absolutely, they are. They, they are literally dangerous, and um, yeah, there are there are fatalities as a result of um, of diesel emissions. Yeah. Um, so just talking about policy for this sector, when you say this sector, you're talking, as you said right at the outset, about the sort of last mile or the urban delivery sector. That's is that affected by things that the trucking industry is talking about, like axle weight and uh, mass and width? No, not really. I, yeah. I think it is in the heavier duty space, um, but not so much in this medium duty um, segment. Um, yeah, the uh, there's, there's, no, there's no industry reason why a transition wouldn't occur other than economics and education. And um, yeah, the economics is about education. So um, the sooner some, some general policy can be put in place, the sooner um, the local industry, fleets and, and even you know, OEMs and distributors can, can really understand what you know, the benefits of, of making this transition. And the fact that even though there's a premium up front, there's a payback uh, on the vehicle over its life because the operating costs are significantly lower on an annual annual basis. So there's absolutely no reason why um, every delivery truck sold in Australia, let's call it in, in three to five years time, shouldn't be zero emission. Um, just jumping um, overseas, the atmosphere and the take up in America, uh, the US, like I'm just interested in because I'm not there, you're there. Tell us, you know, what the 
atmosphere is like for sustainable transport? Like what's driving business and government and even consumers to want to make the shift to electric? And I guess this is an opportunity for you to expand on a policy that you said is in place in the US that's not here. I'd like to hear more about that because I like our podcast to be sort of educative and, you know, obviously we like to follow uh, things that are going on overseas. Yeah, no, understood. I appreciate that. So <clears throat> the key key policy or the initial policy that was implemented by uh, what's called the California Air Resources Board in, in California is known as the Advanced Clean Truck Rule. Um, and it uh, provides, as I said, a, a framework upon which they are mandating that any OEM selling new product in the state of California, and this was introduced four years ago to allow the OEMs time to develop their technology, um, but um, four years ago it's coming into play at the end of this year that from next year, 9% um, of Hino sales and Fuso sales and uh, Isuzu sales and Volvo sales, any OEM selling in California, 9% uh, of their sales have to be zero emissions. Uh, or there are significant uh, penalties for, for not, um, not achieving that milestone. Um, that particular rule has been picked up by 14 other states, which are the, the big blue states, which makes the majority of the, uh, of the fleet sales across those 14 states. Um, and has uh, created a lot of momentum and, uh, and appetite for the OEMs um, to progress, which is why we've got this extended contract with Hino over there and the MAC contract as well, really on the back of that. Only a few weeks ago, they introduced a, a, a supporting policy or rule called the Advanced Clean Fleet Rule. And it's mandating that fleets of a certain size have to have a certain percentage of, uh, of uh, zero emission products. So next year there is a UPS UPS uh, truck that we're, uh, we're about to deliver after the show. That's the first zero emission UPS vehicle in Australia. However, UPS in the US have been trialling and testing and validating uh, our product and, and others for, for a number of years now. They now know that they've got to have a certain percentage of their fleet zero emission uh, starting next year. So their appetite is significant and they're willing to, to pay a premium to, to be able to get uh, um, uh, get into the market, understand the product, get the infrastructure in place um, and be um, uh, be able to uh, to progress and, uh, and expand. And they've also made global global announcements, all the big fleets, so FedEx, um, Amazon, uh, UPS have all made global commitments to achieving um, zero emission fleets in the future, 2035, 2040, some of them 2030, like IKEA, I think it's 2030 globally. So in order to do that, um, yeah, they uh, they need product, and we're able to offer them product. But that policy is then created, um, uh, supported by incentives. Uh, there's a program called the Heavy Vehicle Incentive Program. They're typically state-based incentives uh, for end customers that get a, a rebate or a discount on buying zero emission. Um, and then that creates um, you know, appetite in the capital markets to invest in companies like us. And it's a, it's a, it's a vicious circle, um, or a, a positive uh, you know, snowballing effect that um, uh, you, the US have, that Australia is just starting with right now. A virtual circle. Correct. <laughs> um, as an Australian business striking out in the US, how did you do that? And do you have other Australian businesses, whether they're from you know, transport or elsewhere, asking you for guidance on how to crack into that big market? The answer to the second part is yes, because it's um, the answer to the first part is it's quite challenging. So um, because we've done that, um, done the hard yards and you know, been there for almost five years now, um, 
uh, we do get a number of companies approaching us about not just entering but also capital markets, how to raise capital, etc. In that uh, in that space, um, it's it's a difficult, to, really, from an administrative perspective, to be honest. Initially, um, you know, establishing simple things like bank accounts and getting social security numbers and driver's licenses and, and the likes, which you you need over there to operate, um, uh, takes time and is uh, is is challenging. Um, well, I had a strong view that we couldn't enter the US until we, we had proven product. We couldn't go there and say, this is what we're, we plan to do. We needed to go to the US and say, this is what we have done. So, yeah, we had um, one and a half million miles, which is what, two and a half million kilometres of, of operation across six countries or five countries before we, we went into the US. So I could go there and say, build our team and our team be able to say, hey, this is what we've done outside of the US. Yeah, we're not... We're not just coming here and, and uh, testing on you as an international company, as a, you know, as a company from outside of, uh, of the US. And that, that proved um, successful. So um, there's a, you know, a number of key things that I think need to be done and put in place um, in order to be able to enter the US and be, be successful. And we were lucky enough to, to be able to do that. Um, just out of curiosity, like what compelled you to devote yourself and your money and your business to electrifying vehicles and um, like was it uh, concern for sustainability or tea leaf reading? Yeah, you know, to be honest it's, it's, it's all, all of the above in that um, I saw the, the opportunity, firstly I saw the opportunity for electrification in a particular segment as being a niche and um, being the first to, to be um, adapted and taken up without the need for inserting. So, that was kind of the starting point, but um, you know there was a, a an equal bias to um, the environmental health angle as there was to the commercial angle. You know, this I could see this was going to be a very strong and, and valuable um, a business with uh, if we could develop proprietary technology, which is what we focused on doing. So um, <clears throat> there's nothing better than being able to create value for stakeholders and shareholders in a business that's doing the right thing by um, by the environment and. And by the health of um, of people that live in cities. Um, we're actually sitting here right now in the cab of uh, one of the vehicles that you've put an electric uh, powertrain in. So it's a very nice studio for our little podcast show. But I just jumped in and I didn't even like really look at the vehicle. Did you say it was a Hino? Yeah, it's Hino. All of the product on here is Hino based, but it's homologated as our product. So this is known as a C eighty five E you see on the number um, number plate in front of us. So it's a C85E and it, uh, it runs a 138 kilowatt hour of battery. It's got a 1500 newton meter motor and all of the ancillaries uh, um, uh, are operated by the high voltage proprietary battery electric solution. So a zero emissions vehicle like this, do you believe that we will ever really get a majority of our uh, you know, sort of urban uh, delivery fleets like this uh, in Australia or around the world, do you think they'll ever become a majority? Yeah, I, I don't only believe, uh, I guarantee it. I absolutely guarantee it. The battery electric is the, uh, the powertrain of, uh, of choice for, for this segment, um, let's call it over the next, uh, over the next 20 years. Um, and transitioning from now, you know, next year and the year, year after are going to be large in all markets globally. 
um, are going to be large transition um, transition periods. We we see what's happening even in developing uh, more developing countries. The incentives are there. The policies coming into play. The diesel engine, in terms of urban application, will be dead in five to ten years. And um, just to finish up, um, can you tell us what your vision or or goal is now for Sea Electric over the course of the next few years, decade? For us, it's, it's all about scale. It's all about scale. It's all about growth. It's, uh, it's about entering new markets with the already proven technology. It's about providing solutions to um, our partner OEMs that we've got now and, and other OEMs that, that may, need, uh, may need help. Yeah, from a commercial perspective, we, you know, we have um, a, a range of institutional investors that, that you know, would like to have flexible liquidity options in the future. So you know, we're, we're currently a private company and well-funded, but you know, we have lighter side of, of, of going public at some time in the future, most likely in the US. You heard it here first. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. I know you are super busy here at the show, so thank you very much for your time today. You've been listening to Fleet News Group Podcast. It was edited and produced by Isabella Fiorentino. You can follow us on Spotify. Just search for Fleet News Group. We're also on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. Our website is fleetnewsgroup.com where you can get all of our stories, videos and podcasts. Until next time, drive safely and take care.